go around. Acts chapter 27. And we're going to start to read at verse 13. Read a few verses here. And read through to verse 25 if that helps you out, Daniel. Acts 27 and 13 says, And when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, loosing thence they sailed close by Crete. But not long after there arose against it a tempestuous wind called Eurocladon. And when the ship was caught and could not bear up into the wind, we let her drive. And running under a certain island which is called Clauda or Clauda, we had much work to do to come by the boat, which... When they had taken up, they used helps, undergirding the ship, and fearing lest they should fall into the quicksands, strake sail, and so were driven. And being exceedingly tossed with a tempest, the next day they lightened the ship, and the third day we cast out with our own hands the tackling of the ship. And when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope that we should be saved, was then taken away. But after long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, you should have hearkened unto me and not loosed from Crete, and to have gained this harm and loss. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you but of the ship. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar, and, lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me. And one more verse to begin with, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And verse 13. 1 Corinthians 13 and 13 says this, And now abideth faith, hope, charity, or love, as perhaps we would understand that. But these three, but the greatest of these is charity. And with the help of the Lord this morning, I want to, to teach or preach rather about that middle word from that verse on the subject of hope. The subject of hope. Let's pray one more time. Father, we thank you, Lord, that we've been able to come together and worship you. And uh, we just ask you, Lord, that as we open your word, that you would speak to us, Lord, that you would open our hearts. Lord, for we know that you know all things, the end from the beginning, every heart, every mind, every soul that is in this house today. And so, Lord, we ask you for your anointing upon me as I speak. Have your way in your house today, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I want to say how much, again, we're enjoying having our guests with us. It was like a, a great wall of men's voices coming at me on the platform this morning. It's fantastic to hear. And uh, made me think of some of those clips you see getting around on social media of all the soldiers singing together, those big, strong voices coming through. So that was really awesome. Amen. I want to preach about hope today. Hope is a powerful thing. Hope is a powerful thing. There are many examples in history of men and women who found themselves in terrible situations, especially when it seemed they did not deserve those situations, who managed to endure 
and to overcome seemingly insurmountable circumstances and sometimes horrific conditions because they managed to hang on to hope. You read and hear stories of people who were unjustly imprisoned, such as perhaps one of the most famous Nelson Mandela, who was imprisoned unfairly for many, many years, or you read the stories of people that spent time in prison of war camps during many of the conflicts that have afflicted our globe, particularly in the last hundred years. And uh, day after day, these people suffered terrible treatment, not sure if they'd ever be able to leave or escape, and uh, not knowing if they'd ever see their family again, and feeling, experiencing feelings of, of despair. And having hope can make a difference between hanging on and giving up in difficult situations. Hopelessness is often a factor when people take their own lives. It may not be accurate, there may still be hope, but if in their minds they are convinced that they are without hope, it can lead to tragedy. Because when all hope seems lost, the will to try and the will to hang on, to press on, to, to hang in there, seems to be lost with hope. And uh, if there's one thing that the enemy of our souls, the devil, wants to do, is to convince people that they do not have hope. Even if it's true, see, the thing is, what you believe becomes your reality. And so even if there is hope, even if there is opportunity or reasons to hang on, if we are persuaded in our minds that hope is gone, then we believe that. We believe that. The power of what we believe in our own minds is very, very strong. And, uh, some people in the professional world would call it self-talk, the conversations that we have in our own minds. What we say, we believe. Amen. In our text, in the book of Acts, the Apostle Paul is being transported to Rome where he will stand before Caesar and give his defense. And if you read the surrounding passage, you'll find that as they were preparing to get on the ship, he actually spoke to the Roman centurion, to the officer in charge, and he said, we shouldn't sail. It's not a good idea. This is not going to end well. But the centurion chose to listen to the captain of the ship rather than Paul, and we can understand that. I mean, the, the captain was a sailor. Paul was a tent maker. What did he know about sailing? But he was a man of God. But the, they chose to listen to the, the, the captain. The Bible says that when the wind blew softly, when everything seemed to be just great, and they begin to sail, they set off on this next leg of their journey. But it wasn't long, and an incredible storm blew up. And the sailors... Possibly many of them very experienced, used every skill they had, every technique they knew, every trick, every part of their past, they knew how to fight the storm and to save their ship. But you see, this storm lasted for days, not hours. Now in Perth, when we get storms, I grew up in North Queensland, and when you get a storm, it can set in for days and just rain and rain and rain. But it seems in WA, sometimes we get storms that come that are powerful and, and strong, but they can come and go in an hour. We had a storm a couple of years ago that came through where we live in Ellenbrook and trees were torn out of the ground and my backyard was filled with hail, but it was gone in about 30 or 40 minutes. And the sun came out and it looked like you could have a barbecue again. It just came and went. But this storm was not like that. This storm lasted for days. And such was its intensity 
that the Bible says that they were unable to tell if it was night or if it was day. The, the darkness, the clouds and everything that came with it, they could not tell where, where they were, whether it was up, whether it was down. The boat was just being tossed to and fro. And it eventually reached a point in verse 20 where it says that their hope was taken away. Their hope was taken away. They'd reached a point where they were exhausted. Where every skill that they had, every trick that they knew didn't seem to work. But the storm kept coming. And they'd reached that point where hope seemed to come to an end. And it may not be in a ship or in a literal meteorological storm, but many of us experience crisis. Problems in our lives where we reach a point that we feel the same way. And in the midst of that storm, when they'd run out of hope, Paul, who again was not a sailor, steps forward. In the, you, you imagine the scene. The, let's imagine this is the, 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 the ship this morning. And there are people working frantically. They're bailing. They're, they're tying things up. They're, they're trying to plug holes. I don't know what they were trying to do. I'm not a sailor. But they were desperately trying to save themselves and hanging on while that thing was tossing to and fro. And this man who didn't really know anything about boats steps out into the middle of the ship. And he says, sirs, be of good cheer. They thought he's lost his mind, so that's one we don't have to worry about. But he declares that in the midst of that storm that God sent him an angel. And that that angel's message was that although the ship was going to be lost, every life that was on that ship would be saved. And what we have to recognize is that nothing, absolutely nothing had changed in their environment. The wind was still blowing. The rain was still pouring. The waves were still incredible. The boat was creaking and cracking and coming apart and things were falling overboard. But a word from God spoken in the midst of a storm, managed to bring about a spark of hope. And in the midst of that hopelessness, when God spoke, everything changed. And it came to pass, just as God said it would, that the ship was lost, but that every man that was on that ship was miraculously saved. See, hope is a powerful thing. Hope is a very powerful thing. And early this week, when I was praying about this service, and asking the Lord what he wanted me to preach. Might have even been on the flight home on Monday, which took nearly six hours because of a headwind from Brisbane. And the Lord directed me to preach about hope, so I began to look at this subject, and I happened to be online looking at something, and there was a website that was advertising a movie that is either coming out or has come out, I don't know what was going on, but it's based on the true story of Dunkirk. Some of you might have seen that ad. Some of you know what Dunkirk was all about. But for those that are perhaps a little young, Dunkirk took place in 1940, early in the Second World War. It was a particular area of the European coast, and the war wasn't going so well in Europe. And so soldiers needed to be evacuated, brought back to England to basically prepare to defend England and reset to try and have another crack. And hundreds of thousands of troops were able to be evacuated. I think it was something incredible like 350,000. I may not have that number accurately. So if I've got that wrong, forgive me. And some people even referred to that, that situation as the miracle of Dunkirk, of the fact that so many soldiers were able to be saved. And the advertisement that I saw for this film as it was 
you know, things were flashing up and trying to make me want to go and watch the movie, there was a slogan that popped up on the screen that said, hope is a weapon. Hope is a weapon. And I got to thinking about that. Now, if you were preparing to go into a physical battle and choosing the weapon you thought might help you defeat your enemy or your opponent, you might look at guns. You might look at knives. If you were thinking bigger picture, you might think about explosives. But we're probably not thinking about hope. You know, if big brother David came over and he was upset at me and he, well, the first thing I do is run because he's a big guy. But if I had no choice, I wouldn't be looking around for hope. I'd probably be looking for a shield or, or a hole in the ground or something to hide in. But you see, in the battle for your mind and in the battle for your soul, if you have hope, you can overcome incredible obstacles. You can hang on even in the dark of night because you have something that even though it's not visible, it is very, very real. So yes, hope is a weapon. Hope is something that if we have and we don't let go of, we can win battles. We can win victories. We can overcome seemingly impossible situations. You know, as people, we, we hope for a lot of things. We hope for a lot of things that we don't have control over. You might be hoping for good weather for a particular event. Maybe there's a wedding or, or a picnic or you want to spend the day in the garden. You might be hoping for a good weather. You can't control that. But you hope for it. You might hope, those of you that drive toward the city tomorrow morning, that the traffic isn't too bad. But you can't control that either. Or unless you leave at four in the morning when everyone's still in bed. When you're a child, you might hope to grow to a certain height. Particularly young boys seem to want to get taller. They want to catch up to their fathers, but they can't control. It doesn't matter how many wheat bix you eat for breakfast or how much food you have, your height is already determined by your genes and everything that's programmed into your body. You can eat and eat and eat and you'll grow, but you won't necessarily get taller. There are things we hope for that we, we really don't have any control of. But when we talk about hope in a biblical sense, when we talk about putting our hope in Jesus and hanging on to the promises of the Lord, yes, we don't have control. And yes, we cannot see things with our natural eyes. But there is a hope that if we will trust in Him, that He will never fail us, that He will never abandon us, that He will never let us down. And so even though it's not visible, it is real. And the hope that Jesus offers has stood the test of time throughout history. Amen. You see, hope is closely related to faith in that there is an element of the unknown, the unseen. When you have faith, you're believing or trusting in something that you can't feel or explain. When I, when I have, have faith in God, I, I can't say to people, there he is, look at him, or I can't prove his existence in a laboratory. That's what faith is. It's, it's believing in something that I can't necessarily touch or see or explain. And hope is similar in that we put hope in things that we may not be able to see. In Romans chapter 8 and verses 24 and 25, if you might be able to throw those up, Daniel, it says, for we are saved by hope. It says, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man sees, why does he yet hope for? In other words, if you can see it, you don't have to hope for it, it's there. I don't have to hope that I've got a handkerchief. I've got a handkerchief. I can see it. 
If I said to you, oh, I'm really hoping I've got a handkerchief in my hand, you'd think, is he okay? He's got a handkerchief. So if we, it's, the Bible says that the, if we, for what a man sees, we don't have to hope for that. It's already there. But verse 25 says, but if we hope for that, we see not. If we have hope for the things we cannot see, then do we with patience wait for it. So when you have hope, even if you can't see the outcome or you don't know when it will happen, it changes your behavior. The apostle said that even though we can't see it, if we have hope, we do with patience wait for it. There's a change in attitude. There's a change in behavior. When we put our hope in the Lord, it changes the way that we live our lives. It changes the way we think. It changes the way we approach situations. When you face a storm or a difficulty in your life, if you have hope in Jesus, it changes your attitude in the storm. Because when you don't have hope, your behavior is very different. Two people can go into the same storm. But when one has hope and one doesn't, their behavior is drastically different. Amen. When we have hope, it changes the way we live. Romans chapter 4 and verse 18 through to 21. If you've got Bibles, you can turn to that. It'll give me a chance to get a drink. That one's empty. Brother Frost drank all of that one. That one's empty as well. Sister Pam's at ladies camp and I'm being left dehydrated. This goes to show you the things people do that you don't notice all the time. Bless the Lord. Romans chapter 4 and verse 18 is telling us or it's referring to the story of Abraham in the Old Testament of how many of you would know this, but just to give an overview. Abraham was promised by God that if he obeyed the Lord and if he walked with God, this is why we have kids. Thanks, Don. He was promised that if he obeyed the Lord and he walked with God, that out of him, God would bring descendants that would become more than just a family, but they would become a nation. And that even, even though Abraham probably didn't understand it all, God promised Abraham, he said that in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. What he was saying was, through your descendants will come the Messiah, that Jesus would be born. I mean, I don't know if Abraham got all of that back then. We can ask him later on. But what happened was he was given a promise. But as he got older and older and older, the older he and his wife got and no kids were coming, that promise seemed to get further and further and further away. And that makes sense. You know, if you, God says we're gonna, you're going to have a family and from that family it's going to be bajillions of people, but you can't even have one kid. A promise. And so in Romans 4 and 18, speaking about Abraham, it says, who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken so shall thy seed be see something was spoken to him there was a word of god spoken into his situation and being not weak in faith he considered not his own body now dead he wasn't actually dead but he was talking about from their ability to have kids it's very hard to consider your body is dead when you're still alive he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah, that's his wife, the deadness of her womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, 
giving glory to God. And being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. Now I want to read that again in a, in a more modern translation. This is what it says in the New Living Translation. Even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about 100 years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead, and so was Sarah's womb. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. Now, that version says that there was no reason to hope. We think about reason, and we're talking about our mind, our ability to think. When he looked at it rationally, there's no point in hanging on to this promise. Now we have to understand, it talks about Abraham's faith, but Abraham was just like you and me. He did have days where he thought, I'm not sure if this is going to happen. You know, God said, and you know, I trust God, he's never let me down, but we're getting old here. We're getting old. His, his peers were having grandchildren, great-grandchildren. And he and his wife haven't even got a kid yet. And we know how he and his wife tried to sort of make it happen themselves, and they made a real mess of that. So he did have some struggles. But through it all in a consistent fashion, he hung on to the promise of the Lord. Because from a reasonable approach or with natural thinking, his situation was hopeless. Everything around him screamed, it's impossible. It can't happen. But Abraham had a word from God. And a word from God in the midst of an impossible situation changes everything. It brings hope. It brings the ability for God. And we know what happened, that they reached that point where they were so old that they thought, Lord, because you see, sometimes what God does is he lets a situation go far enough to prove to you that you can't fix it. And then he steps in. Because that way there is no doubt whose power it is. When Abraham and Sarah finally had Isaac, finally, after all those years, there was no doubt that it was a miracle from God. And even though their bodies were dead in that sense, reproductively their bodies were dead, God miraculously enabled them to be able to have a son. And he said, I'll take care of my promises. You see, it's not our job to make the promises come to pass. It's our job to hope in Him. It's our job to say, if God has said it, I'm going to hang on. If God said it's possible, I'm going to put my trust in Him. I don't have to be able to work it out. I don't have to be able to explain everything. If God said it, I'm going to put my hope in Him. And that's why sometimes when you tell people, I believe Jesus is coming back, they think, well, how is that possible? I can't explain all of that. I can't take out a, a pad of paper and a pen and say, well, because A plus B equals C, therefore the result is Jesus. Is I can't do that. But because of the promises in his word that I have seen him answer in the present, because of so many of the things that he said he would do for me that he has done, because he's never broken a promise, 
I'm happy to trust him with the ones that are still coming. I'm happy to say, I don't know how all that will work, but if he said it's going to work, it's going to work. Amen. The book of Joshua in the Old Testament, chapter 2, another well-known story. If you'd like to turn there, you can. Joshua has taken Moses' place as the leader of the people of Israel. He's leading them into the promised land, a promise that God gave back to Abraham all those years ago. It's coming to pass. Abraham didn't see it. Isaac didn't see it. Jacob didn't see it. And you think, well, Lord, you gave the promise. But in God's timing, he took his people into the promised land. And many of us know the story of the city of Jericho of how it was the first, I guess we might call it a stronghold, it was the first fortified city that they encountered when they crossed the Jordan River, came into the promised land. And uh, Joshua sends a couple of men out to go into the city and have a look around, you know, to spy, to, you know, check things out, to bring back, you know, what the people are like, what the city's like. And, and we know the story of how they come into the city and, and the, the city's already a little bit nervy and on edge because they know about these Israelites. They know there's this mass of people of anywhere between one and a half up to possibly four million people moving across the countryside. You'd kind of notice that. Yeah, it'd be like Melbourne just walking across the Nullarbor. You might notice. And so they know these people are coming. And what are they doing? What are they coming for? And they've heard of some of the incredible things that God has done for these people. And the, the city... The city is, is full of idol worshippers. They're worshipping statues made out of wood and stone and stuff and they're not getting a lot back. But they've heard about these people and about their God and these two spies come into the city and they hide in a lady's house whose name was Rahab. And Rahab was what the Old Testament calls a harlot, which is what we would call a prostitute. It wasn't, you know, the, the best neighbourhood in town, but she says to these men, where are we? When am I going to start this? In the beginning of chapter 2, she talks to them and she says, we've heard about your God and what he's done. And so in verse 12, we'll pick it up now that I've got my mind where I need to be. Chapter 2 and verse 12 says, she says, now therefore I pray you. She says, swear unto me by the Lord, since I have showed you kindness, that you will also show kindness unto my father's house and give me a true token, a promise, something to hang on to. I hope. And that you will save alive my father and my mother and my brothers and sisters and their kids and deliver our lives from death. And the men answered her and said, Our life for yours, if you utter not our business. In other words, you keep your mouth shut. Don't tell people that we're in your house or that we came through here. And it shall be that when the Lord has given us the land, that we will deal kindly and truly with thee. And verse 15 says, Then she let them down by a cord through the window. For her house was upon the town wall, and she dwelt upon the wall. And she said unto them, Get you to the mountain, lest the pursuers meet you, and hide yourselves there for three days, till the pursuers come back, and then go your way. And the men said unto her, We will be blameless of this thine oath which thou hast made us swear. In other words, if you break your word, if you don't keep the bargain, the deal's off. You'll get killed with everybody else. Verse 18 says, Behold, when we come into the land... Thou shalt bind this line of scarlet thread in the window which thou hast let us down by, 
And thou shalt bring thy father and thy mother and thy brethren and all thy father's household home unto thee. Bring them into the house. And it shall be that whosoever shall go out of the doors of thy house into the street, his blood's on his own head. In other words, if they're in the house, we'll look after them. They're out of the house, too bad for them. Verse 20 says, And if thou utter this our business, if you tell on us, then we, the, 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 the deal is off, which we've agreed to. And verse 21 says, And she said, According unto your words, so be it. And she sent them away, and they departed, and she bound the scarlet line in the window. Now, that's chapter 2. If you read on from there up to about chapter 6, the day comes when it's time for the Israelites to take Jericho. doesn't tell us exactly how long, I don't think, is the time frame. But they get a really weird instruction from God. Again, we're talking about unusual weapons. The Lord says, even though you've got an army of possibly a few hundred thousand men, this is how we're going to take this city. We're going to, you're going to line up and we're going to walk around the city silently once. And then the next day, we're going to do the same thing again. And you can imagine all these people, including Rahab, looking out the window. What are they doing? Are they, are they going to attack today? No, they're just walking around again. And around, and this happened every day. Can you imagine the pressure that the people inside the city were feeling? Every day they'd get up looking at the window. They're just walking again. These people are really weird. And again, and again. And they've got the music team set up at the front of the army. Hopefully the music team had faith because they're at the pointy end of the spear. And then on the last day, I think it's the last day you Bible school students can help me out. I think they went around seven times. But then on the last lap, people inside the city are just about beside themselves. But on the last lap, the instruction was that they were to give a great shout and that the music team was to blow the trumpets and carry on and make all kinds of racket. And what happened by the power of God, again, irrational. Irrational. They don't teach this stuff at military college. You join the army, this is not one of the things they teach you how to do. But irrationally, why? Because they had a word from God. And when they shouted... The Bible says that the walls of the city came down. History tells us that the walls of that city were supposedly thick enough to ride chariots on. This wasn't a pool fence. This was a serious wall. This was a very serious wall. And somehow Rahab's house was connected to the wall, but it wasn't destroyed. I don't know. There's different theories about all that. All I know is that her house was part of the wall and it wasn't destroyed. That's all we need to know. But you can imagine what it was like in her house as the walls started falling down around about. The noise, the screaming, the chaos as people ran looking for an escape as the soldiers came flooding into that city in their thousands. Slicing and dicing and doing all those things that we don't like to think about in politically correct 2017. But she and her family are in the house and everything in them probably said, Run! There are soldiers everywhere. The whole city's fallen down. Everything in her said, run, get out of here, save yourselves. But she had a promise. She had a promise. And what is really interesting to me is that in in the Hebrew that the Old Testament was originally written in, 
The word in chapter 2 where we read from, the word line or the line of scarlet thread that we've got in verses 18 and 21, in many other places in the Old Testament, that Hebrew word is translated as hope. The same word is translated as hope. And because she had a promise, she kept her hope in the window. She made sure that thing was not getting loose. She tied it up and she stayed in the house when it did not make sense. And in a world that we live in today, with all the opinions of society and the philosophies that are out there rationally, it doesn't make sense to trust God. But I have a promise. I have a hope. I have something that people don't think makes sense. But he said, if I'd hang on, he'd come back for me. He said, if I would wait for him, he would come back. He made a deal with us. Let's turn to one last scripture, Ephesians chapter 1. Cass, if I could maybe have you on the piano, please. You see, when Jesus came, he introduced a whole lot of new stuff that messed with people's heads. One of the things he said was, except you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. The man he was talking to found that really hard to understand, which was fair enough. So Jesus broke it down and he said, except you're born of the water and the spirit, you can't enter the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. That's in John chapter 3, verses 3 to 5. And so we know the Bible says that, but what did, what did it mean? See, when the church was born after Jesus ascended in Acts chapter 1, and the church was born, we find a similar situation. There's a whole bunch of people that turn to Peter and say, what are we supposed to do? All these crazy people were speaking in tongues. And he said, what is this? Are these guys drunk? You know, it doesn't make sense. But it was the result of a promise because they were told to wait for the promise of the Father. And when the promise came and they were filled with the Holy Ghost and Peter told them what was going on and how Jesus had died for their sins, they said, what do we need to do? And he said, you need to repent and to turn around, walk away from your sins. You need to be baptized in Jesus' name so those sins can be washed away. And he said, you need to be filled with the Holy Ghost. You see, in Ephesians chapter 1, in verse 13, speaking of Jesus, it says, In whom you also trusted, after that you heard the word of truth. There's a promise that was offered. You decided to put your trust in it. The gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession and of the praise of his glory. Another version says it's the guarantee of our inheritance. The Spirit of God, when we are filled with the Holy Ghost, with the evidence of speaking in other tongues just like they were in the Bible, the Scripture says that's like that red thread hanging in the window. The Lord says if you'll keep it where it's meant to be, when I come back, your house, whoever's in there hanging on to that thread, whoever has that hope will be saved. That's why, and I could read a lot of scripture this morning, in Acts chapter 19, the apostle Paul finds some believers, people that believed in Jesus, that, that were sincere. And he said, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said, the what? We haven't even heard about the Holy Ghost. And he said, well, how were you baptized? 
And they said, well, we were baptized under John's baptism. And Paul said, well, that, that baptism was a part of repentance. That's good, he said. But he told them to believe on him which would come after him. And he took them and he baptized them in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then it says, I think it's in verse 5 of Acts 19, they were filled with the Holy Ghost and spoke with other tongues. Because the book of Romans says that if the same spirit, not just any old spirit, but if the same spirit, you know, Rahab could have said, you know that red thread that doesn't go with the curtains? I'm going to make it a blue one. Doing some redecorating. Don't know why the house is going to fall down soon anyway, but let's change, let's mix it up a bit. No, no, no. The deal was made with one cord. You change the cord, the deal's off. And that's why the scripture says that if the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwell or live in us, that he shall make these bodies alive. That's what it says. That's life now, but it's also life when he returns. Bless the Lord. We're going to worship the Lord in a chorus in a moment, and we have a bit of a full house, so I'm not exactly sure how this is going to work. But I'd like us all to stand together, if you would.